Hello, and welcome to episode number 75 of the weekly Google Cloud Platform podcast. I am Frances Campoy, and I'm here with my colleague, Mark Mandel. Hey, Mark, how are you doing? I'm very well, Francesc. How are you doing? Very good. Very excited to have uh, the engineering director, nonetheless, of uh, Google Container Engine. Yeah, we're going to have Hen Goldberg joining us. She is super, super cool, super, super smart, and very passionate about containers and open source. I, I love how effortlessly you pronounce the name. <laughs> <laughs> Years of practice. Yeah, uh, yeah, and she's going to be telling us a little bit about uh, Kubernetes itself, but also like what is the difference between Kubernetes, Container Engine, about the community, and it's it's a very interesting interview. I uh, really loved, uh, learned a lot from it. Uh, and then after that, we have a question of the week that comes from Slack. It does come from Slack. Uh, one of the users, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this. It's like a handle. Uh, Shah Hello Ida. Sure. Yeah, it's words. Um, we're talking about the Cloud Builder and how to access external repositories if you want to access them within your build steps. Interesting. Uh, we'll have also to mention real quick what Cloud Builder is because I don't think we've mentioned it before. So no, we should yeah. do an episode so we'll, on that. We'll do that. Uh, but before that, we have our cool things of the week, as usual. And uh, we have two of them. Uh, you are the one, I are the one. So I'm going to let you go first with the one about, apparently someone complained that this had not been yet yeah. uh, a cool thing of the week. Has it been a cool thing? We've got to the point where people are like, you didn't mention this thing, we're now mad. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so if you haven't looked at the location section of Google Cloud Platform and having a look at all the regions we have, you may not have noticed that there is a new Singapore region that is now available. Yep. Uh, so you'll find that there are two zones in that region, Asia Asia Southeast 1A and Asia Southeast 1B. Uh, they have lovely Intel Xeon processors and 64-core machine types as well as local SSDs sitting there waiting for you to take advantage of them. Yeah, it is. It is pretty awesome. Uh, if you are anywhere around there, you should be also able to see uh, GCPing. Uh, being a little bit faster if you're closer to one of those data centers. Uh, so yeah, like from here in San Francisco, a little bit far away. <laughs> it's actually probably the farthest away. I'm getting 174 milliseconds. Yeah, that is the farthest away we are. It, that's probably our farthest data center from San Francisco right now. So it you know, kind of makes sense. But if you're there, it's way closer. <laughs> that makes sense. So uh, yeah, check it out. And I think that not all the services are available yet, but you can find that information on the documentation page that we will link from the show notes. Exactly. Cool. And so what did you have as a cool thing of the week, Francesc? The second cool thing of the week is actually a tweet that I saw from Projecta Joshi. And I checked who she was, and turns out she's a product manager for Google Cloud Platform. And she was talking about the fact that there's a new thing supported by HTTPS load balancers, which is WebSockets. WebSockets! Yay! It is it is pretty amazing, because if I remember correctly, we actually talked about how to deal with this not we that did. long ago. And you know, it was not the easiest or nicest of the experiences. So it is it is awesome that now it's fixed. So if you want to use WebSockets over HTTPS load balancer, which is uh, the global load balancer, you can just do it. It is it is very simple. We have, as always, a link to the documentation from the show notes. And and I don't think there's much to say other than it just works. Yeah, it looks really, really cool. Uh, it is worth noting that if you have configured client IP or generated code session affinity for your load balancers, then your WebSocket connections from a client are sent to the same backend instance. So it, it 
it respects yeah. the um, sticky sessions. Yeah, which is important for WebSockets, obviously. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it looks like it's just really good to go, which yep. is great. So, so that's awesome. I'm very happy about it. And also, uh, I did not know about Projector Yoshi, so I searched on Google and I saw that she also talked at GCP Next. She seems really cool. So if you're listening to this Projector, you're very, very, very invited to come and join the podcast and talk about a little bit networking and all the cool things on Google Cloud Platform. Definitely, definitely. Awesome. Well, why don't we go have a chat with Jen and talk to her all about GKE and Kubernetes. Sounds good. Let's do that. So it's an honor today for me to welcome uh, the engineering director of GKE, nonetheless, uh, Jen Goldberg. Uh, how are you doing? Great. I'm very happy to be here. Thank and you for inviting me. Yeah, very happy. Like we met at a party right after Cloud Next, and since then, I really, really wanted you to come to the podcast and tell us a little bit about how it is to be uh, working at GKE. Uh, but before you start talking about GKE and all the details of Kubernetes and all that cool stuff, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do at Google? Uh, so I'm an engineering manager. That means that I'm passionate about building teams. Uh, and helping building teams to be productive uh, and building products that customers mm. and users like. And while I've always been very drawn to infrastructure, I was able to bring that passion to users into the infrastructure world. And at Google, I'm doing my dream job because <laughs> open source means building huge team uh, and, and impacting that and helping making sure that the community is productive and a happy community and we have a great product uh, as GKE so I'm having a great time all right cool um, so why don't we start with wait, wait, we start with an easy question uh, so what is GKE what is Google Container Engine a Google Container Engine is a, a platform that helps you manage your containerized applications the same as Google does we and Google have been managing uh, applications within containers like Gmail and Maps for over 12 years now. Uh, and with GKE, we're able to provide the same service and offering to Google Cloud Platform users. Uh, this means that when you're choosing GKE, uh, you can really focus on developing your application. Uh, and GKE allows you to quickly uh, deploy your application and make it available to users as a service. And we are responsible for all the productization of your mm -hmm. service uh, and the differentiation is uh, it's an amazing technology of Kubernetes which is the heart of GKE uh, together with uh, Google Cloud Platform in general uh, which means all the goodness of Google network and storage and machine learning that is available uh, mm -hmm. and on top of everything I think what's very unique for Google and we are known for is our operational excellence our uh, site reliability engineers and the practices that we have built throughout the years are being implemented for our users through GK. So uh not that long ago, we had an amazing episode. We had the chance to have Jen Wilkes talking about Borg and Kubernetes. But for those that have not listened to any of our Kubernetes episodes, could you tell us a little bit about, like, why is Kubernetes a thing? Like, what is, what is cool about it? Uh, everything. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so as I said before, Kubernetes is the, uh, the heart of Google Container Engine. Uh, it's an open source platform for automating, deployment, scaling, and operations of containerized applications uh, across clusters. Uh, with Kubernetes, you're able, uh, once you are uh, familiar with containers uh, and you have uh, a microservice applications, uh, you're able to deploy your applications quickly in a predictable way. 
and scale on the fly, which means that it's very easy to meet a changing demand uh, together with Kubernetes. Cool. So then... Like what's the difference or possibly the relationship between Kubernetes and Container Engine? How does that work? The first thing is that Kubernetes is open source and it runs anywhere. Uh, this is also the, the main differentiation between Borg, our internal uh, container-centric infrastructure, and Kubernetes. Hmm. For the team that founded Kubernetes, it was very important to make it open source because we understand that cloud today uh, while we see that it's a very uh, popular trend, still most of the workloads are not running in cloud, but they're running on-premise. So we know that if people want to move to containers uh, and they want to be agile and to quickly to deploy, they're actually looking to do it not in the cloud, but uh, uh, in other environments. So the team really wanted to, do, to make something open source that will be easily adopted. Uh, so that's one. And the second thing is that by making it open source, uh, we are building a very rich ecosystem around it. So you have many other tools that are bridging the gap, if it's from developer experience, uh, security, storage, uh, and network, and more. So then that means that basically I can get Kubernetes and run it basically anywhere. And every single time I say you can run Kubernetes everywhere, it comes to my mind the demo that uh, Ray Tsang did, where he runs Kubernetes on a cluster of Raspberry Pis, so it's like one on top of each other, which is pretty cool. So you can run it virtually anywhere, but we offer a way to run it on GKE, Google Container Engine. What is the benefit of running it on Google Container Engine rather than just installing it on your own cluster? First of all, just spinning off a new cluster in Kubernetes is not something hard to do. Okay, we actually invested a lot in making it easy uh, with tools like KubeADM, and we even emphasize that it will be easy and a consistent way across different platforms, uh, wherever you run it. Uh, the value of GKE or container engine is by the offering of what happened next. So you spin off your cluster. This is great. Then even you start to deploy your application on that cluster. Uh, how do you keep the cluster updated? How do you get uh, the most recent Kubernetes versions? Google mm. Container Engine is, the, is where 1.6 is already available. We are always the first one uh, to make innovation of Kubernetes available uh, within the Kubernetes community. And we are doing it without compromising quality. So when we make it available on GKE, we have tested it and we make sure that it will work well for our customers. We are upgrading automatically both the uh, master, the, the control plane of the cluster and the nodes. And we provide you out of the box the integration to everything that you need to actually serve customers uh, for your application. So integration with network and load balancing and storage uh, and just solving all the infrastructure challenges uh, for you. What I often hear from developers is two things. Uh, GKE is the best and easiest way to try out Kubernetes because it's so easy to spin off a cluster. But the more important thing, it's the easiest and fastest way to uh, make your application productized. So if you are a startup, for example, and you want to quickly set up something uh, and maybe serve in multi-regions, GKE and GCP is, is a very easy way to go. So you mentioned updates, uh, and I'm curious about that because since Kubernetes is built for failure, for reliance, uh, resilience against failure, uh, I'm assuming that that might help with the update procedures, but how does it work? Do I even care when the update happens from 1.5 to 1.6, for instance? So first of all, this is some of our secret sauce of how we do it in GKE. Interesting. <laughs> 
And no, you shouldn't care. And of course, we make sure that we will not introduce risks. Uh, there is a way if someone wants to opt out. Uh, but within Kubernetes, we are making sure that we are uh, backward compatible. We can upgrade uh, for you. Uh, the master. And usually you don't know and you don't care. The machines themselves that are part of the Kubernetes clusters are more tricky. Uh, this is an area where uh, some would prefer to opt out uh, of those capabilities, especially if they have uh, in their application design some constraints that we cannot foresee. Uh, but overall, we are uh, making the upgrade while we mitigate the risk, making sure your application continues to serve uh, as you would expect. That's cool. Cool. And you talked about it a little bit, but I'd love to hear some more detail. Like, so GKE was sort of integrated more with GCP. Like, there are certain things out of the box that were available. Can you talk a bit about the sort of features and tools that are directly integrated into the hosted Kubernetes solution that we run? Uh, I think the, the most uh, thing to highlight is the uh, infrastructure. For example, our VMs powered by a Google Compute Engine. Uh, uh, you can have flexible machines. You can decide exactly what types of machines you will have. Uh, they are the fastest uh, to start up. Uh, and this is very unique uh, to GCP. And network, of course, works out of the box. Uh, we allow you to integrate into the IAM capabilities of the rest of GCP. And also what we lately see more and more is how GKE customers are leveraging the machine learning services uh, available uh, on GCP. So those are just few examples of the power of GKE together with GCP. Cool. So uh, let's talk a little bit about GKE. Uh, we just had the 1.6 version of, uh, of uh, Kubernetes released, and you mentioned that it's already available on GKE. What is, what is the coolest thing, in your opinion? What is your favorite feature of all the things that are new? I, I'm excited, usually, about the, the big things that we are trying to do, and then there are uh, multiple features that allow us to move forward. Aparna, in her keynote at KubeCon in Berlin, when we uh, announced 1.6, uh, was talking about how Kubernetes is moving forward uh, in supporting multi-workloads and multi-users at scale. And to me, that's the, the exciting part that I, I look forward this year with Kubernetes. When you're running your applications at scale within a cluster, this is where it becomes the most efficient. This is where it's exciting. This is where you hmm. need to invest less in operating the, the cluster itself. So there are two examples of features that are really helping us move forward that. So one is supporting 5,000 nodes of a single cluster. This is also available on GCP. That is huge. That's good. But it's not just about the right size. It's not all that matters. We have, for example, introduced a, a better, uh, what we call RBAC, role-based access control, which uh, gives you more granularity of permissions within a cluster. So if before it was harder to have multiple teams, for example, work within a cluster, it meant that you were forced to have multiple clusters. Hmm. Now that's no longer the case. And I think that's the most exciting. Basically, the whole idea here is that rather than having like at a startup, uh, you have like maybe three clusters for three different teams working together. Now you have one cluster that might be a little bit bigger, but now you have all the things running together. Yes. That is really cool. 
Yes, and just to make sure that we don't uh, confuse anyone, we still recommend uh, separating development environment from production environment. Mm, that's a very good point. Okay. Good. Yeah. But other than that, yes, definitely having multiple teams or multiple services, even in production, serving from the same cluster. So um, just from an outside perspective or even from an inside perspective, it seems like the community surrounding Kubernetes um, has just grown by leaps and bounds, even in the last six months to a year. Uh, do you have any involvement in that? Uh, yes, I think this is this was what was most exciting for me in this role is helping to build this community. Kubernetes as an open source project is very unique by uh, for the reason that we encourage and we want to have more contribution. So we were actively working on increasing the percentage of Google contribution into Kubernetes. When we started, uh, Googlers contributed 76% of the commits, uh, and right now it's in the low 40s. Mm, nice. And it's not like my team is not growing. We grow fast. <laughs> uh, we're still hiring, if anyone is interested. It is just that we make sure that the community grows even faster than we do. And, and that's important for us. We found that a product or technology like Kubernetes will not be successful without it. Like, let's take the promise of runs anywhere. Hmm. For that, we need users to actually run it anywhere. We know we don't do it. We know that we are experienced with our GKE users and what we know from Google. But we have Red Hat, for example, or CoreOS. They are uh, running on-premise Kubernetes and managing it. Their feedback is very important for the community. Uh, we see others that are uh, helping with developer experience and simplification and, and network and security. Just having all of those expertise together and getting that feedback really fast is what makes Kubernetes so special uh, in my mind. So I guess we've been talking around the, this topic for basically the whole time, but <laughs> I, we keep on talking about community and, and I guess that the fact that it is open source helps with community, but not only. Like, could you tell us a little bit about why is Kubernetes open source to start with? So first of all, you know, as engineering managers or in general, as engineers, I think it's very hard to compete with uh, technologies that are not open sourced. I mean, there is a limit of how many people a single company can put into a single product. Hmm. And I think this is something that is very clear with Kubernetes. The amount of investment right now, it was calculated about uh, 400 engineering years already. Wow. Well. That's huge. <laughs> I don't have such a big team uh, to support it. I mean, for me as an engineering manager and also the team, uh, we think that the innovation pace is unmatchable uh, when choosing uh, open source. And also for Google specifically, I think open matters, open source matters, but it matters more in cloud. Uh, we talked about the portability uh, aspect, which is very important. Uh, we keep saying to our customers, we want you to have a choice. So you have the freedom to come to Google Cloud Platform, but also have the freedom to leave. We want mm. you to stay because this is the best cloud for you. Obviously. <laughs> We're biased. <laughs> uh, but you know, people can leave and they choose to stay. Hey, openness is not just about choosing the platform, but also the flexibility, which tools to use. There are so many CI CD tools and that, by the way, keeps changing and there will be always new technologies. So by making it open source, we know that new technologies will continue to be introduced into Kubernetes and support it because it's open source, because it's easy to do it. And mm. when building a community in Kubernetes, 
we invest probably half of our time in building Kubernetes as a technology and half of the time uh, around building the community and making it easy to develop on top of Kubernetes. So if I'm now a startup that wants to integrate into Kubernetes or just a vendor or even an enterprise customer, I think this is a reason why they like open source. You can mm. tailor it to your own need. Uh, and we invest a lot in extensibility. We care about fragmentation. And in general, making sure that the, the success of, of Kubernetes is sustainable. Great. So uh, since you're talking about the fact that there's a very big interest on people building on top of Kubernetes, and you know we've actually interviewed uh, Helm, uh, we've yep. interviewed a bunch of different people building stuff, like Fission also is on top of Kubernetes, a yep. bunch of different projects that run on Kubernetes, which is amazing. So what is, what is the coolest or the most interesting one that you've seen lately? I wouldn't say the, uh, uh, the most interesting, but I can say something that I was passionate about. And yeah, Google sounds good. Let's go with that. <laughs> uh, was investing more in is definitely Helm. Kubernetes started with uh, very infrastructure-oriented people, uh, many ops people. And last year, our main focus was making sure it's easy for developers to start using Kubernetes. And I don't think we are done yet, but, but with Helm... I think it's it's amazing the amount of uh, charts that we have that support the uh, multiple workloads, different type of workloads, and we make sure that everything that we produce and by we we say we because it's a community effort, uh, of course led by Deas uh, team to make sure that uh, everything is tested and that when we release new releases, we want we'll make sure that things are still working uh, as expected. Uh, so that's one thing that I'm really excited about from within the Kubernetes community. But that's just one example. That's awesome. Since you're mentioning uh, DS, uh, they were on the news not that long ago uh, because they're they joining uh, Microsoft. What is your view on all of this? What do you think? First of all, I think this is exciting for the Kubernetes community uh, because this is just uh, evidence to show how companies realize the value of Kubernetes. And it also validates our belief that developers want openness and flexibility mm -hmm. Uh, in the cloud. Uh, more specifically for DAS, uh, DAS are friends and they are very important members of the member of the community uh, of Kubernetes and I'm really happy for them uh, and I hope that uh, with this acquisition they can do more for Kubernetes. Awesome. Well, we're kind of running out of time, uh, but is there anything else that you'd like to add, any topic that uh, we've forgotten or anything else that you'd just like to mention? Yes, I think that we haven't touched that. We talked about the technology and openness. Uh, but one thing that I am passionate about, definitely as an engineering manager, is about building the right culture. Uh, and I think mm. that the right recipe uh, to build a strong team is having a very strong culture and set of values. That's the thing I like the most about Kubernetes. Uh, it's about openness uh, and appreciating feedback, inclusiveness and diversity. From the moment I joined Kubernetes community, I felt comfortable and respected. Uh, and I, I hope everybody else feels like that. And I would welcome everybody to join us. Yes, yeah, so to segue from there, if people want to get involved with the Kubernetes community, where should they go? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, Kubernetes can be very overwhelming with the size of it. Uh, we have a concept which we call the special interest groups. There are smaller groups within the community of people working together on an area they are passionate about. There is tw about 25 of these, and we can add in the notes exactly linked to that. I think the best way yeah. is just to choose an area you care about 
and join one of these special interest groups. Then you will know the people by name, you can see the faces on a GVC or, or Zoom or whatever uh, meeting tool we'll be using there. And, and that will probably be the easiest one. Uh, I can highlight one specific. Uh, we have uh, the Contrib Experience uh, Special Interest Group, which is focusing on the contributor experience. So even if you know nothing, about Kubernetes, but you know something about developer experience and open source, that will be the easiest way to get involved. That's great. Uh, we'll have a bunch of uh, links from the show notes to point to all of those uh, special interest groups. And also, we'll have a bunch of links to different talks from uh, KubeCon. I know that your keynote was really good, so if people are interested in learning more, I think it's a very good place to go to. Excellent. Well, Hen, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it was super great to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Ren for joining us. It was really great to have a chat with her and hear about her opinions and her perspective on Container Engine and Kubernetes. Yeah, and just talking to her because she's awesome. Yep. Now we're going for our question of the week. And as we said, it's a question of the week coming from Slack, from the username Sha underscore hello Aida or something like that. So the question is, uh, if I want to access a private repo from Container Builder, how do I do it? Cool. So this this depends. So there, yeah, I guess like <laughs> before we start answering the question, uh, we should mention what are those things like. What is a container builder? Yep. And what is uh, what is a private repo? So container builder. Container you know. builder is essentially like an automated system for building containers uh, on site Google Platform. Uh, it can be fired manually, so you can actually run it locally to basically use the cloud to build containers in the cloud. But you can also have it run on, say, when a Git repo gets pushed to or something like that, and then have it trigger automatically. It can have multiple build steps and can do just more than just building a simple container. So it's a pretty nice little piece of uh, foundation work for building like continuous integration and continuous delivery systems. Yeah. Uh, what I like about it is the fact that it allows you to build containers uh, very easily, and uh, you can run it directly from gcloud, like gcloud container build submit something, mm -hmm. you don't need to install Docker on your machine. If, if you don't have it, that's fine. You can still build your containers and push it to the container repository mm -hmm. and then well, container registry, actually, and then access it from there. So that that's pretty awesome. So to do that, uh, Container Builder accesses uh, repos. Mm -hmm. It downloads code from places. And when it's a public repo, uh, no matter what it is, well, it's public, so you can access it. Yep. But what if it's private? Okay, so you're working probably on some sort of commercial application. You don't want it to be exposed to the outside world. Um, there's a couple of options here. So Google Cloud Platform does uh, allow you to have source repositories. Uh, they are private repositories, private Git repositories that come with Google Cloud Platform. And they're pretty awesome. I use them all the time. <laughs> I use them too. They're really yeah. super simple. Um, so if you're running Google Cloud Builder in the same project as the source repository that you have your code in, then there's not going to be a problem. It should be able to grab that yeah. code, pull it down, do what it needs to do. Sweet. It's perfect. Um, if you have your source repository in a different project, yeah. you will need to configure some permissions on that repository so that your external repository can then access it. So basically give that, that, that builder project access to that source repository so we can do that. Makes sense. If you have something like a private Git repo on, say, like GitHub, then we're going to need to get some SSH keys. So how do you do that? How do we do that? So uh, in the future, hopefully, this should be a whole lot easier, and there'll be nice steps. The uh, solution that we talk about having now basically is store those keys in a private uh, Google Cloud storage bucket. So okay. put them somewhere so that the outside world can't get to them, but that project can. 
And then within your build step, just download those keys from that git storage bucket, put them in the in the appropriate space, probably in like a SSH folder, and then you'll be able to access your git repository pretty much exactly as you would do normally. Nice. I wonder if it could be also doable from like if you started a metadata server or something like that. But it's probably easier to do it on Google Cloud Storage. You can even like that's actually something that people do not realize. You can just drag and drop files from your desktop to the bucket, which is pretty amazing. It's pretty easy. And you know, then you've got also a lot of control because you have all the ACLs, like the access controllers yeah. and that kind of stuff as well. That's a very good reason to do it that way, yeah. Yeah, so Container Builder, pretty flexible. You can do a lot with it. It's actually really, really cool. Yeah, it is uh, definitely uh, worth trying. I'm going to be playing with it soon because there's this new thing, the Docker build that is multi-step. I don't know if you've heard about it. I have not. Uh, it allows you to do things like, you know, when you want to build something and you want to put all your tooling and compilers and stuff, and then you want to generate a binary. And you want that binary to be in the smallest container image possible. Oh, yeah. So it allows you to do exactly that. That's similar to what I do by hand, but... Exactly. Less make files. Huh. I know. It may, it may sound a little bit sad for you to have less make files. Huh. <laughs> it's actually a good thing. <laughs> So yeah, I'm going to be playing with that, and I'm pretty sure that uh, Container Builder is a very nice way to do that. Okay, cool. I think, uh, yeah, I think we're going to have to look at that a little bit later. Yep. What are you up to? What are you doing? Where are you going? Anything interesting on the calendar? So by the time this episode comes out, I'll be already in New York, and I had presented already last Monday, so May 1st, the Google Developer Group New York City, talking about endpoints uh, with our dear friend, Brett. Uh, he will be talking about Cloud Functions. And after that, uh, I'll be back right on time for Google I.O. because uh, I will not be going to Google I.O., but on May 15th, uh, we will be hosting GopherFest San Francisco, which is a very cool event hosted here in the San Francisco, well, in the Launchpad, which is by the San Francisco office. Mm -hmm. Lots of cool talks about Go, community, etc. cetera. Uh, what about you? Cool. So the week that this podcast comes out, uh, I'll be helping host the Extra Life and Playcrafting Game Jam, where we'll be raising money for kids in hospital. Uh, then I don't go anywhere for a week, which is really nice. Crazy. And then the week after that, I go to Sweden to Nordic Game Conference, where I'm off to talk about Kubernetes and game servers and all the good stuff there. Nice. And right after that, it will be right after Google I.O., so there will be some fresh announcements probably. There'll be like something. We should do some special, some special episode or something. Something like that sounds like a reasonable thing to do. We'll see. Excellent. Well, Frances, thank you again for joining me for yet another episode of the podcast. Thank you, Mark, and thank you all for listening. And we'll see you all next week. Bye.